I'm really excited uh, to now have uh, three times this month where I'll, I will be uh, preaching. Um, and we'll be in uh, the book of Lamentations once again this morning. Um, so last week, we, we discussed the very first part of the first chapter of Lamentations. We looked at the prophet Jeremiah and how he was, he was speaking and sharing his eyewitness account of the absolutely deplorable conditions that were going on in the city of Jerusalem. And I hope that last week I emphasized that pretty well. It was desolate, it was empty, it had been ravaged. And um, I hope that I, I made that, that message very clear that this city was destroyed. And I do pray that this, this short study in Lamentations uh, not only motivates you, but it motivates me as well to stay within the framework of God's fellowship. Now, we have a tendency uh, most of the time to minimize or completely ignore the awful and horrible consequences of sin. And ultimately, we have to face those consequences when we do sin. Now, this book, the book of Lamentations, stands for us as a stark reminder that there is a price to pay for sin and disobedience before a holy God. Now, in this, this section that we have before us this morning, we're going to see that the prophet Jeremiah records the feelings of the city of Jerusalem as the city jointly speaks her mind for all to hear. Now, before we, um, before we get started, let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then we'll open up God's word and read it together. God, we just thank you so much for your greatness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love, for your kindness. But Lord, we also thank you that you are just, and you are righteous, and you are holy. And Lord, you expect us to follow after you in those ways, to obey you, to be holy as you are holy. And Lord, I just pray that um, this morning as, I, as we open your word together, um, Lord, that your, your greatness, your grandeur would be displayed in every single thing that we read this morning, that you would draw us closer to you. Lord, help us to turn from our sins to follow you in obedience this morning and every single day of our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word that we can open it up, that we can, we can see exactly what it is that you want us to see, that we can read exactly what it is that you want us to read. Lord, we thank you that, that every word of scripture is breathed out by you. We thank you so much for it. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Lamentations, and we'll be in chapter 1 still, but we're going to be starting in verse 12. So last week, last week we were at the beginning of this chapter, verses 1 through 11, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 22 
this week. So please read along with me, um, not out loud, unless, of course, you feel like it. Um, But I'm reading out of the English Standard Version this morning, uh, starting in verse 12 of Lamentations, uh, chapter 1. Is it nothing to you, all who pass by? Look and see if there's any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord afflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire. Into my bones he made it descend. He spread a net for my feet. He turned my back. He has left me stunned, faint, all the day long. My transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hand they were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden, as in a winepress, the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears. For a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns, my heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves In the house, it is like death. They heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard my trouble. They are glad you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now, let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint." So the first thing, the first thing uh, we'll see throughout all of this text of Scripture is the sorrow of the city, the sorrow of the city of Jerusalem as the city weeps. Now, the city does a couple things here. And you'll notice, first of all, that there's, there's a switch in the, the perspective that we see written here. There's a switch from the third person in the first 11 verses where Jeremiah is looking upon the city of Jerusalem and saying, Jerusalem remembers. Jerusalem sinned grievously. But we see a switch to the first person in verse 12 here. Look and see if there's any sorrow like my sorrow which was brought upon me. Into my bones he made it descend. 
He, set, he spread a net for my feet. We see that switch there from a third-person perspective to a first-person perspective. The city of Jerusalem is appealing for compassion. The city of Jerusalem is appealing for compassion. Now, the city weeps loudly, and the city is calling to all who pass by her to show some compassion in the midst of the grave sorrow and anguish that the city is feeling. In verse 12, they cry out and say, Look and see if there's any pain like my pain. Now, although the, the people were suffering together as a nation, their deepest grief was very personal and individual. Not only did they sin together as a nation, but they also sinned on an individual level, and they were broken about it. Now, why is the city appealing for compassion to any who will hear? Well, first of all, they're appealing for compassion because of God's judgment upon them. Now, God displayed his judgment, as we talked about last week, in several different ways. And he displayed his judgment because of the sin of Jerusalem. Now, the first way that he displayed his judgment was by way of his fierce anger. His fierce anger or wrath. Now, if you'll recall, the people of Jerusalem deserved God's wrath because of their own decision to sin and not follow the Lord. And now all of a sudden they have a desire for others to have compassion on them during their time of affliction. And that's a very relatable thing for us. They had this extremely real pain that they were feeling. They had lost loved ones. Their city had been burned. They lost sons, daughters, husbands, wives. And all they want is some compassion because this pain was extremely real. In verses 12 through 14, I'm going to read that again. Is it nothing to you, all who pass by? Look and see if there's any sorrow like my sorrow which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire. Into my bones he made it descend. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint all the day long. My transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hand they were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. And the Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. God showed his anger for the sins of Jerusalem. And it brought pain. It brought suffering. God also showed his judgment by way of his consuming fire. 
Now, most of the time when we think of the consuming fire of God, we think of it in a, a uh, figurative sense. But God not only sent his figurative fire through pain and suffering upon the people, but he also literally sent fire into the city when he allowed the Babylonians to burn and ravish the city. Now, the fire of God's judgment, it can be hard. It can be fierce. It can leave us in a place where we don't know what to do. Everything seems like it's gone. Now, God also judged the city by his snaring net. By his snaring net. Now, I know some of you are, are avid uh, fishermen or hunters. Um, and I'm assuming most of you don't initially catch your fish with a net anymore. Uh, but back in the day, that's what they used. They would throw a net overboard, trapping as many fish as they could at one time. And those fish were helpless. There was nothing they could do. They were stuck in that net. And through God's sovereign hand over Jerusalem, they were captured by the Babylonians. They were brought into that net. They were helpless. There was nothing they could do. Stuck and snared in that net. God's judgment upon us through our sin, it, it lays a, a trap. Our sin can lay a trap for us. It'll leave us stuck, unable to move, unable to escape the hole that we've dug for ourselves. And finally, we see God's judgment by way of the wine press. By way of the wine press. Now, the way that wine was once made was, and still sometimes is to this day, was people literally walking on grapes, stomping, crushing these grapes to try to get all the juice out of them that they could. In verse 15, we see the Lord has trodden as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. The sin of God's people drained them and crushed them and caused them to feel the judgment hand of the Almighty God. Sin brings consequences. God is a just God. And he brings judgment upon those who sin against him. Now, Israel also had another reason for appealing for compassion. Israel appealed for compassion because along with God's hand of judgment upon them, 
They had no one and nothing to comfort them. In verses uh, 16 and 17, For these things I weep, my eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me. And in verse 17, Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. Earlier in verse 1 of this chapter, the city is referred to as a broken widow with no one to help her, with no comfort coming from her former allies. And we see multiple times just in this chapter that there is no one to comfort Israel. In verse 2, she has none to comfort her. In verse 9, she has no comforter. In verse 16, for a comforter is far from me. In verse 17, but there is none to comfort her. And in verse 20, I'm sorry, verse 21, yet there is no one to comfort me. Now it's clear that Jeremiah was very sure that there was absolutely no one that was going to comfort Israel. And that's why they were crying out for compassion. All the prior comforters of Israel had deserted her. At one point, they refer to the, the Canaanite gods that supposedly deserted her, even though they were false gods to begin with. Egypt and all her other allies had left the city to her own fate. They were desperate for comfort. Because all of the judgment that had fallen upon the city of God. In verse 16, My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Now we see um, multiple times throughout this chapter, the city of Jerusalem called a filthy thing in verse uh, 17 and back in um, back in verse uh, 8 as well therefore she has become filthy now this is a reference to Levitical law uh, concerning a, uh, a woman who is menstruating and it's to picture the the city of Jerusalem as shamed and separate from her husband and the temple worship. And this was required by Levitical law during that time for a woman to be separate from her husband, not to worship. And so Jeremiah is using this analogy to describe the separateness, the shame that Israel is feeling. They are completely separated from God. And that's how, that's how they felt. Separate from God and unfit to worship Him. Separate from God and unfit to worship Him. 
Now, so far, this chapter is pretty morbid. It's pretty sad. There doesn't seem to be a glimmer of hope at all. But in verse 18, we see something pretty amazing coming from the people of Israel. And that is their acknowledgement of their sin. The city is finally acknowledging that they have sinned against God. It, it seems like they're starting to get it. Verse 18 begins with a confession by the city, with a statement of God's character. And they acknowledge that God's judgment on them is truly righteous and deserving of his wrath. In verse 18, the Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. They finally acknowledge and confess their own sin. And we must understand that all sin, first and foremost, is against God. Because he alone is the very standard of righteousness. Now sin, as I said uh, last week, in spite of all its allurement, excitement, enticement, it carries with it very heavy weights of sorrow, grief, misery, barrenness, and pain. The city has despair. In verses 20 and 21, they say, I am in distress, or other versions say, tormented within. But they finally, finally acknowledge their sin before God. Now, there's that short little glimmer of hope right there. They say, the Lord is in the right. I have rebelled against his word. And as soon as it seems like Israel is starting to get it, well, they do something, they do something else. When you think that they're going to repent, turn from their sins, worship God, instead they cry to God for vindication they call on God to bring judgment to their enemies. And essentially, they do this to make themselves feel better. In verse 22, Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of my transgressions. Verse 21, you've brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I. Now, it's interesting that the Jews here are attempting to remind God, like he really needs to be reminded, that their captives, or captors, the Babylonians, were also fierce sinners who needed judgment. But God doesn't need reminding. 
He knows how sinful every single one of them was. But this attempt uh, to remind God of other sin was their attempt to feel better about themselves. One commentary notes it was an appeal for vindication and justice, the performance of which would elevate their distress and bring at least a measure of comfort. Verse 12 has the phrase, look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. And it closes with this last phrase in verse 22, for my groans are many and my heart is faint. See, they didn't want God to bring justice upon these sinful nations because they knew that God was in the right and they wanted justice to be done for justice' sake. They wanted it to be done for their own sake so that they could feel better about themselves. And how often do we do that exact same thing? We say, yeah, God, I sinned. I know. I know. But when are you going to bring judgment on others? When are you going to punish them for their sin? Their sin is way worse than mine. We say, let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you've dealt with me. Because it will make me feel better. Now, the picture throughout this chapter remains the same. Sin will always result in groaning, moaning, and self-pity. Now, this is the end of chapter 1, and I wish that I could... I had time to go through the rest of this book, but um, unfortunately I'll only have time to go through one more short section of this book. But we can learn from this section of Scripture that continued sin by God's people brings God's hand of judgment. Continued sin by God's people brings God's hand of judgment. And continued sin leads to suffering, pain, and anguish, which ultimately shouldn't lead us to try to point God to the sin of others, to take his wrath off of us and throw it onto somebody else and make us feel better. But it should lead to confession, prayer, and repentance. It should break us so much that we've broken the heart of God that we confess our sins to him. That we turn from 
those sins. We take the blame and we confess what we've done to God. We know that he is faithful and just to forgive us. And one uh, commentator uh, gave this, uh, this comment about the book of Lamentations. And it's kind of, uh, I'll try to break it down a little bit for you. It says, the canonical shaping of the material has not supplied a happy ending, but it has moved the problem into its proper confessional context from which the community of faith must continue to struggle with its own history before God, as it always has in the past. The book of Lamentations doesn't have a happy ending. It's not a fairy tale story where everything turns out great in the end. It's very real. And it teaches us that we need to confess our sins before God. Otherwise, his judgment will be brought upon us and it will bring suffering. It will bring pain. But when we confess our sins to God, when we turn from our sins, we trust in the righteousness of Christ alone, he will forgive us. Now, life's not going to be this amazing ride all the time. We know that the, the people of God, even when they're not sinning, still face suffering. And we still, to this day, know of that suffering. But it is, it is so comforting to know that we are not the only ones who face that suffering, who know that suffering. I'm going to read a quote uh, from another analogy of this first chapter. Jerusalem's cries express a timeless truth. Only those who have personally experienced the depths of loneliness can understand the anguish of a lonely heart. And no individual, group, or people has ever suffered the pangs of alienation more intensely than has the Son of God, Jesus Christ. For over 30 years, the spotless lamb walked among sinners and met their needs, only to be betrayed, beaten, mocked, and crucified by those he sought to help. He died alone, forsaken by God and despised by man. Jesus came to this earth as a man, the Son of God, wrapped in human flesh. He experienced suffering. He experienced the consequences of the fall of sin. He knew pain. He knew sorrow. He knew loneliness. No one understands 
what we're going through like Jesus does. I've spoken about this before, but I, I, I still to this day can't wrap my head around the amount of grace and mercy that it takes for the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, to come down to this earth as a little baby, as a human being, to, to bear the suffering that we feel as humans. He could have, could have done anything he wanted to get rid of any of the pain that he felt. When he lost loved ones, he cried. When people were sick, he went to them. He saw their pain. And ultimately, he gave up his life. He endured the most excruciating death that someone could possibly endure. The God of the universe. At any moment, he could have said, no, never mind. And just overpowered everyone. But by his grace and his mercy and his love, he chose to die the death that we deserved. He knows the suffering that we go through. He has endured so much pain. And he did it all for us. And not so we can continue in sinning and then passing it off like, well, God, it's not as bad as other people. The wages of sin is death. Whether that's a thought, whether that's an action, every single sin deserves the same punishment. Jesus took that punishment for us. So let's obey him. Let's follow him in obedience, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I hope that this study of this first chapter um, was not uh, too, uh, too sad. And um, the, since there is, there is very little uh, seemingly glimmers of hope in this chapter, um, I, I pray that this, this study of this first chapter was encouraging to you. But also I pray that it was convicting I pray that you confess your sins before God and that you see the example that Israel set and in this instance act differently. Let's go before the Lord in prayer.
God, we thank you that all Scripture is breathed out by you. Lord, we thank you for, um, for your grace. We can never fully comprehend or understand why you would choose to bring yourself so low. God, we thank you for not only the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but his entire sinless life that he lived. Or that he was, he, he felt temptation, yet he did not sin. That he is the perfect example. And that instead of following this, this example of sinners in Israel that we find in Lamentations, Lord, that we would follow the true example of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit we are sanctified. We are made more like Christ each and every day. That we turn from our sins. That we confess our sins to you. And Lord, when we do feel the pain of the judgment that you give because of our sin, Lord, that that would cause us to turn from it. Lord, that we would see that sin as you see it, as, as horrible, as heartbreaking. That we would see, we would see Jesus on the cross and know that he bore all of those for us. We thank you for his amazing sacrifice. And that by that sacrifice, we can be called children of God. Thank you that he rose on the third day. And now he's seated with you. Lord, we praise you for all that you've done and all that you have yet to do. We want to give you all the honor and the glory this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray.